Good morning, everyone. One of the key roles of parents is to make d good decisions. And decisions are always difficult to make, but if you think of what parents should be doing and need to be doing, I think that is the one word that comes to mind, making good decisions. Now, some of those decisions are very exciting. So, for example, when your parents tell you, or if your parents have ever told you, you know, we, we decided to go to Europe for an entire month. That's a great decision. Now, there could be some difficult decisions that parents also have to make every day. The kind of food that they put on their table, where they're going to live, where the children are going to study, and all the other very difficult decisions of day-to-day -day life. So both difficult and happy decisions are kind of what characterizes the life of parents. And of course, when children get older and see their parents making good decisions, then hopefully they model those good decisions, and that is what we actually call maturity, when children themselves are able to make good decisions that have good consequences and lasting positive effects on their life. Today we celebrate the fathers of the first six ecumenical councils, and we're very blessed that the fathers of the church made good decisions for all of us. The early church lived in an era of persecution. For the first 300 years, anybody who professed their faith was either thrown to the lion, killed, had their property confiscated, and it wasn't even easy, you know, we went through a bit of that this year, it wasn't easy to come to church and worship freely. But what did they do? They continued to teach so that those basics of the faith continued to grow. The fathers of the first six ecumenical councils that we celebrated they began to gather in a formal way, first in the, in the year 325 in the Council of Nicaea, after Constantine stopped the persecution of Christianity, moved the capital of his empire from Rome to the new Rome called Byzantium, which he renamed Constantinople, the city of Constantine. And that became the head of the Roman Empire because it was closer, that, and united by, closer to uniting east and west part of the empire. And in the city of Nicaea, they put together or formulated or agreed upon, whatever words you prefer, the, the first part or part of the Nicene Creed that we continue to recite every single Sunday. So when we say we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, that formula, which began in Nicaea and continued in, in the Council of Constantinople in the year 381, was formulated in those times. And because they made good decisions that reflected what we believe, we, are, we continue to build on the solid foundation of their faith. Just like the fathers of the church made good decisions, we need to continue to make good decisions in our faith. And we call um, certain teachers or we call bishops and priests fathers because, as St. Paul said, I have become your father because of the gospel. So in the both Old Testament and in the New Testament, we refer to, we use the word father in three separate ways. First, we use the word father for our heavenly father. But then we also use the word father for our earthly father, for, those, for, the, for, the, for our parents, fathers and mothers. But also, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in the early church, we use the word father in a spiritual way for those who father or make difficult or important spiritual decisions. How does this relate to the church? Why is this so important for me? Because I'm beginning to feel in the last, specifically in the last month, uh, something that I call the post-COVID crunch. 
And what that means for me is that everything that was not done in the last year, year and a half, everybody wants to do it in the next week or two. And it's actually been an incredibly difficult couple weeks for me trying to keep up with everything and everybody wants like they send an email and they want an answer within an hour even though sometimes things like require some time and some planning. So in this post-COVID crunch as we move to whatever phase we're moving into next it's important to think of this phrase that sometimes people use we want when are we getting back to the normal and when people say that um, I always ask, well, what is normal? And I surely hope that we don't get back to the wrong elements or the distracting elements of what we were doing before. We definitely, as your father in faith, I certainly don't want to get back to whatever we were doing randomly before COVID. And what is that that is so important? One positive thing about COVID, um, why not having a whole lot of people in church, is that there was far less distraction during the Divine Liturgy. Now, I'm very happy that you're all back. Um, however, we cannot return to this kind of distracted sense of worship on the Sunday Divine Liturgy. And why is that? Because it's very important to think of our actions always flowing from what we believe. And the most important question is, well, what do we believe about this Sunday gathering? We believe that we are gathering to become the visible body of Christ. God, God became flesh. He became visible. He became visible. He died and he rose for us. And when he ascended into heaven, he told the apostles that I will send my Holy Spirit. And now you are my body. And a body is visible. A body is physical. And St. Paul uses that analogy of us being the body of Christ. So we gather here, in addition to see each other, but we gather here to remind ourselves that the body of Christ, the church, which Christ himself established on Peter the Rock and the faith of the apostles and the early church, is present in us. That itself is a great blessing, a great accomplishment. So when we immerse ourselves in that responsibility, in that role, then that means we need to act in a particular way. The second reason there are many reasons we gather, is to give thanks to God for everything else, for everything that has happened this past week. It's called the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist literally means in Greek the thanksgiving. So when we gather, we see each other, we give thanks to God for each other, that we have friends and that we have a family, but also we thank God for everything he's given us during the week. And we also give thanks to God for the blessings, the hidden blessings, the secret blessings that God will surprise us with every, the, the, the following week. That's kind of a Christmas every single week. God gives us gifts we don't even know. And then third, we gather to receive the Eucharist, to receive the body and blood of Christ, and to remind ourselves that St. Paul told us, you are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Temples, not in a figurative way, not in a poetic way, when we receive the body and blood of Christ, we become temples of the Holy Spirit, just like the temples of the Old Testament contained the, tab the, the tabernacle, which contained the Ark of the Covenant, which contained um, the Ten Commandments. The entire temple was built around holy places and holy things. And there were specifics of how that temple was going to be built and how people would enter into that temple and the kind of prayers that would take place in that temple. 
So now, in addition to a beautiful church that we have and a safe church that we're able to gather in, St. Paul tells us that you are the temple and that when you go out, you are the living temple giving light to the world. And that's why in today's reading, Jesus tells us that you are the light of the world and to let your light shine before others. And then fourthly, if not exclusively only four, but four, is that we are, giving bl we are given blessings that we can't earn or acquire on our own. And what does that mean? Is that, you know, when you want to learn something difficult, often the harder you work and the more you concentrate on like the timetables or memorizing a poem or studying a, a very difficult manual for your job, the harder you study, the harder you work, the better you will get in the results or the test or the better you'll be at that thing. That's part of what faith is. The more we take our faith seriously, the more we pray, the more we spend uh, time in quiet in our life, the more we read, the more we reflect, the better we get and the greater, we, the greater our relationship is with God and the greater we'll be able to love and know God. However, in addition to our own hard work, faith and the blessings that I pray upon you, which actually is the blessing of God, not my personal blessings, is that regardless of all the success, all your worldly success, all your worldly intelligence, all your worldly abilities, that's not enough. God gives you something that is even greater than what you are able to achieve on your own. So all those things and much more is why we believe the divine liturgy is so important. Now, if the divine liturgy is important, then there has to be some sort of guidelines for the divine liturgy. And if Christ is important, then there has to be a very specific teaching on who Christ is, and that's what the early fathers of the church focused on. So what are those specifics of the faith and of the divine liturgy? The specifics of the faith, like uh, St. Paul mentioned today, is to excel in good works that after leaving church that you are able to apply or that you look for something specific to apply your work to and that you're also continually growing in your faith. Now, in, when it comes to the divine liturgy, I think there needs to be some very clear guidelines that I share with you um, that you're free to follow or not, but if you don't, then it also reflects on what you believe or what you don't believe about the Eucharist. Immerse yourself in what the Eucharist is, and I think the actions of many people will change. Now, the difficulty of giving a homily like this is that I'm often speaking to the people that this does not apply to. The fact that you're here perhaps means that you take the liturgy seriously. However, I still need to make it official that the divine liturgy begins at 11 o'clock. We start at 10 to 11 with the great doxology. It's good to come, even at 10.30. If you believe you're going to be in a place where you are, where your presence is necessary to make the body of Christ visible, then that should be, lead you to some intensity in your life. If you feel that you're going to be in a place where you're going to receive the body and blood of Christ in order to become the temple of the Holy Spirit, then there's some intensity. And if you believe that you've worked all, all week hard, and just like Peter said, we, we fished all night and we caught nothing. But now with you, we want to catch something. If you really, really believe that, then 
come to the liturgy with that intensity of heart and come to the liturgy on time. The liturgy starts at 11. If you go to a game, if you go to a show, you go to anything, you want to be there not only right at 11, you want to be there early to prepare yourself for what is going on. And I really encourage, I'm going to do my best to, um, to, to, to remind everybody frequently that we need to come on time. And I know that a lot of you travel distances to be here, but you get extra blessings for that. That um, we are, in a sense, I like to think of ourselves as the premium church. We're not the drive-through church. We're a church where you actually have to set aside the things of the world and the things in your calendar to make to be purposeful in being here. And so, in doing so, um, coming late, you're missing an important part of the liturgy. From now on, we're going back to our old custom of closing the doors before the epistle. And that is not that we don't want people in here, but that if people are walking in through the epistle, through the gospel, through the homily, then you're, not, you're missing what this sacred gathering is, and also you are shortchanging yourself. So we will keep those doors closed so that people who actually came are able to focus. So it's a courtesy to all those who are here on time. It's not a punishment in any way. Because if you don't feel you want to be here, that's your full, you're free to be here, to not be here or be here. But for those who are here and make the effort to be here, they deserve peace in their prayer. They deserve not to be constantly interrupted by people walking in and out for absolutely no reason. Now, if you have to go to the bathroom or some emergency pops up, by all means. However, this is the action that flows from what we believe. And the second uh, very important thing is that the liturgy ends at the final blessing. Imagine walking into somebody's house for dinner, you eat, and you leave. That's usually what I do when there's a big event, but not when I'm invited for dinner, okay? Everybody, where are you going? I'm, I'm going. I, it's too much noise. But... Um, the reverence of a sacred event like this requires that not we come, we partake, but we actually wait, number one, for the rest to finish partaking. Imagine you finish your food quickly and then before people are even finished, you're off or you leave right away. Both are not healthy and they miss the point of the divine liturgy. If you're in a rush, put off your lunches another hour, another half hour. And if, people, if you have people coming over for lunch, tell them, to join you for church. And if they're not able to, tell them, we'll meet you at 3 o'clock rather than 1.30. This is all not because um, I want to make rules, but I think it's really important for us to reflect what it is that we believe. And third and finally is uh, t cell phones in churches or whatever noise you, you may have. There's actually no need for a cell phone in a church. Some people say put them, in some churches say put them on vibrate. I say just turn your phones off and leave them in your car. There's no reason why you need a phone, and if you do need one, turn them off and leave it in your, in your, in your pocket. It's completely unnecessary for, to have a phone going off in the middle of a prayer like this. So those are, all, all, those are all things that indicate that sometimes not only ourselves, but also others that we're bringing, with or, or bringing to church with us are missing the point of the divine liturgy. The Lord tells us, seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added unto you. That's the kind of parish we want. That's the kind of community we want. And 
We also want each and every one of you and all of us together to be able to focus on the divine liturgy, to focus on those elements of the divine liturgy, of us gathering as the body and blood of Christ, of us becoming the temples of the Holy Spirit, of receiving the Eucharist, and also going out in, um, in fervor and in strength to proclaim the good news. So thank you for, uh, for your attention and for your many blessings. You know, this has been um, a challenge for all of us, and now we need to kind of continue to not only come back, but also clarify the guidelines of what we need to focus on as a family of faith and as a church that believes in the death and resurrection of Christ and that Christ is with us every single day of our life.